it's imperative for our brighter future that we have folks who are invested in science, whether or not they decide to be scientists, and that people of all backgrounds feel included in science, not just what they see through scientists. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to today's program. I am excited as always, because today we're going to be talking about outdoor science education and how it all ties back to university programs, training of teachers, and getting kids excited about being in the great outdoors. And joining us today, um, I have two colleagues who are going to be talking with us about the ins and outs of, of the program of tied to this, this great outdoor science endeavor. Uh, so joining us today is uh, Leslie Dorsey. And and Leslie is a former Moss grad student, and she's going to explain that to us when we get here in, in just, just, just a little bit, um, and is currently with the University of Idaho. She is a naturalist, field instructor, AmeriCorps member over, over time, and I'm sure a variety of other things that have come into play in her work. Um, currently involved in implementing a brand new K-12 program in partnership with a variety of local um, school districts. And so um, welcome to the program, Leslie. Thank you. And joining Leslie is um, Carmen DeLeon. And Carmen is also um, here to talk with us about her work. She's an experienced science educator and wildlife conservationist. She's also a STEM education specialist and currently, I believe, residing in uh, San Mateo, California. Uh, welcome, Carmen. Thank you so much. Good morning. So happy to have both of you. And so let's start with a very high level because um, the, the program that we're talking about is near and dear to me because it's housed um, at my alma mater for our listeners. Um, as far as a University of Idaho um, graduate myself, I was super excited actually to hear about this program, which may have existed when I was there. We're not going to tell everybody how old I am, but I don't think that it was. So um, Leslie, could we start with you? Give us the sort of you know, 100,000 foot view and sort of set the stage, if you would, for what this program is and how the university sort of is involved with a particular work. And then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into the details. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our graduate program through the University of Idaho, um, housed in the College of Natural Resources, and we've been operating on our McCall Field campus of U of I for about 20 years now. And the program started small, um, with just a handful of graduate students working with um, just a very small number of local K-12 students. And over the years, we've grown into having a full cohort of 20, 24 grad students here for a year-long residency, working with students that are here on our campus every week throughout the school year. And for those that don't know, and lots of folks haven't been to Idaho, but if you go to Idaho, that's awesome. It's a wonderful place, but McCall is epic. It's gorgeous. 
<laughs> it's, it is it is the perfect place in my mind for this program um, to be uh, to be housed. Uh, pretty excited. We'll talk some more about that. Uh, so, Carmen, talk with us a little bit about sort of your involvement. You're a graduate of this program, yes? Yes, I graduated in the winter of 2013. So I've been out for a couple of years, and I stay really close with our. Moss Network, we're of course a team, a family, and we follow our cohort members through everything we do after graduation. So we stay very much in close and in close touch and I've been in contact with current Moss grads. I continue to just enjoy this partnership with our program and staying as community members together. Yeah, and that's always one of those key pieces. I assume that as part of that role, then as a former graduate, that um, you serve as a mentor to some extent of, of, of folks as they are now starting their journey in that program as well. Yes, and I think that's an important part of the Moss experience that even though we have relatively short history for a new program, mm-hmm. that we still have this network of folks who we can tap into and learn from. And in the outdoor education world, I always tell people it's never goodbye. It's a, we'll see you later because it is a small world out there. Yeah, that's the perfect way to think about it. And so just a little bit of context for our listeners. And, you know, Leslie, um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, you'll dig into a little bit of the components of this for us. This is a one-year intensive professional degree, a master's of natural resources in environmental education and science communication. And I love the fact that that's the way that this was crafted. And if the students completing this program, they earn credits in field science teaching place-based education, place-based ecology, team leadership community, leadership and science communication, and a lot, I assume, of very critical integrative thinking, design thinking, and I assume an awful lot of problem or project-based, very applied, hands-on sort of approaches. So share with with our listeners then a little bit about sort of how or where the folks who get involved in this program come from, because I assume it's not just, hey, I want to be a science teacher, but maybe there's another passion that everybody, there's there's some passions and similarity, I guess, amongst the participants. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We have a pretty wide variety of coursework for the grad students to work on while they're in our program. And the same can be said for their backgrounds coming into the program. We don't have a particular um, prerequisite undergraduate degree. We have grad students from just a wide variety of undergraduate experiences from political science and Spanish majors to um, educate early education, fisheries science, you know, something more specific. And the grad students come to this program because they feel like they want to expand their skills across different disciplines. So I like to tell everyone we're kind of like a liberal arts degree of master's programs. We do (laughs) a little bit of everything, pretty interdisciplinary, but our intention is to help create generalists versus um, people who are really specific in master's or PhD programs. So we want students who are able to think critically about problems, use data and literature to back up what they're learning and digest and argue that from evidence. We want people to understand systems and principles as they apply to the natural world and think about how humans impact those uh, systems and are part of it and how to be a good community member and citizen of a place and also 
um, a member of a of a group and how to disagree politely with other people because with those wide varieties, you know, we get a ton of diversity in our grad program, which is absolutely wonderful. And people don't always agree with uh, everything, which is it's great. And do the students have to come to Idaho or is this a degree program that's open more, you know, broadly virtual, you know, are, are, and, and I assume some things have changed, you know, obviously with the pandemic, there has impacted post-secondary sort of around the world. But I'm just really curious because I can imagine our listeners going, oh my gosh, this program sounds amazing, but, you know, I can't get to Idaho. You know, is there an option or is it, or is it place bound? We are place specific. So it's residential in-person, hands-on, um, experiential. So uh, being in McCall and part of the community is a, a big part of that learning. So that's that's wonderful. And again, you know, if anybody gets the chance, McCall is just it's such a gorgeous place. I mean, it makes so much sense to me why you would put this kind of program in that location and being able to utilize the community as a whole, as well as the ecosystem in which the community is nested, makes a tremendous amount of sense to me when you're talking about really sort of in Filling in folks that sort of synergy between place and the environment and the opportunity from a teaching and learning standpoint. So I really applaud the program for that. That's, that's awesome. So Carmen, share with us a little bit about sort of what you did with your time in McCall as it relates now to what you do specifically in, um, in your job in California. So where my journey was when I entered Moss is that I was a wildlife biologist. So I specialized in avian field ornithology. I still volunteer with the National Park Service to monitor, conserve, and protect migratory raptors in the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. And what that left me with after coming out of that program was I had done an awful lot of science and I was looking for that connection. How can my science make an impact on the world if I do not know how to share it with other people? So personally, I don't know how to teach people science and engage them in science. And then looking at the bigger picture, how do scientists as a community engage with people, with students, with future scientists, with science interests, and making sure that all of those communities go together? So I came to Moss very confused because I showed up saying, oh my goodness, you all, I don't know if I want to be a scientist or an educator. How will I ever choose? Um, Because I came in with that myth that it was a choice, that you cannot be both, and that if you generalize, you will not succeed um, at either. And how I overcame that myth was having a really strong cohort of both fellow students and mentors who allowed me to be perfectly myself, my data-driven, data-interested, I want to go outside and measure some dirt on the (laughs) half of my mind. And they allowed me to break down that barrier to say, yes, you can do that authentically while also teaching a young student and while also teaching um, each other. As Leslie mentioned, not all of my colleagues were fellow scientists. And I knew that was going to be true. And instead of that being a weakness, it was a strength. So here we were gathered together trying to, you know, rattle off statistics in our yurt on the edge of Payette Lake and making sure that, you know, it was just as important that somebody was out there reading the coding for our statistics as the other student who was making sure the fire was staying fed. And that community aspect really helped me to overcome that barrier of feeling like specializing and generalizing were opponents 
to what I would ultimately become. And not surprising since obviously I'm here, a success story. I really did gain a lot of support in realizing that those two fields go hand in hand and it's imperative for our brighter future that we have folks who are invested in science, whether or not they decide to be scientists and that people of all backgrounds feel included in science, not just what they see through scientists. Um, So the Moss program and the environment and community really perfectly prepared me for what I'm doing now. I'm a STEM education specialist at a museum called Curiodicy in San Mateo. We call ourselves a science playground and zoo um, because we're, we're also breaking the barriers of traditional education by embracing those Moss characteristics of being hands-on, asking questions, um, trying things out. And we also have that generalist specialist. Are we a museum or are we a zoo? And really those are two things that should go hand in hand. So that collaboration between community and science um, continues in my work today as we're just kicking off a new program um, this week where we're going to be working with more students in our community to broaden opportunities to learn about STEM careers. Um, our new initiative is STEM Core, and I'm definitely leaning on all of the integrative hands-on approaches that we had at Moss to be able to bring science to communities that have perpetually been excluded um, from this field. So that's my major role right now is taking a critical look at the whole science education industry, especially in our local San Mateo County and looking at who's been included, who's been excluded, and most importantly, why. Um, I think Moss really shows us that for folks who may think of graduate school and academia as being in a laboratory or reading books all the time and may not feel like they belong, um, Moss breaks down those barriers to say, well, academia is theory, but it is also practice and both are equally important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that very much. Uh, the back of uh, everybody at past uh, business card says taking theory to practice, right? And so the practice part we recognize is critically important. So Leslie, I want to ask you, is, is Carmen's... Um, is Carmen a, a typical student, the profile? So we, we started, you know, Carmen's piece of this conversation with, you know, I wasn't sure if this was going to be the right thing. Did I, did I fit? You know, I was wondering, I was a bit lost in terms of sort of where, or what I wanted to be able to do. And, you know, it sounds like through, through, through the program that Carmen not only found, found her, her groove and found sort of the, the, the jazz, if you will, about the things that got her excited, but figured out then how to take that and apply it to a future that she's really excited excited about, clearly very excited about it. So awesome work that's happening. But is that fairly typical of of the students that find their way into the program? And if so, why do you think that is? Absolutely. I think that's very typical. In the first few weeks of our program during orientation, we often talk about imposter syndrome and people show up and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm instantly surrounded by all these incredible people who know so much more than I do on, you know, various topics. And Uh, It's very natural for people to be like, what do I bring to the table? Am I, you know, like in the right place and with the right fit? And as time progresses, people realize that we all have different strengths and experiences and connections and networks that we're bringing to uh, the shared learning community. And there's definitely a situation where grads come in to the program thinking they know what track they're on, what they're going to do after the program. and they 
meet other people and spend more time with the faculty members uh, in classes and different professional networking experiences. And all of a sudden they're like, oh man, I was really prepared to be an XYZ professional after this program, but now I feel like I'm capable of doing so many different positions Mm -hmm. and so many doors could be open. Now, what do I pick to do in my life? Uh, And the people are so capable and prepared to do such a wide variety of, of jobs and careers after this program that sometimes they end up going totally different direction, but following their passion because they're able to perform in any of those things. So yeah, I'd say Carmen's experience sounds uh, pretty typical to me that she uh, (laughs) came in, was ready to like sharpen her skills, didn't know exactly where she was going to fit in um, with science or education or both or how that would look. And then has all kinds of different opportunities uh, in her current job, different directions that she could go in. I like to think of our graduate students as sort of ninjas in the professional workforce because they are really flexible and able to shift directions and call on those interdisciplinary and wide variety of skills that they get in the class uh, class experience. So peer leadership, small group leadership, small business, you know, workings, the ecology of a place and how the systems work, mm-hmm. education, pedagogy, theory. You know, people are ready to incorporate all these different experiences and can do so many different jobs within the organizations they get hired for. Yeah, that's fabulous. And would you say that the majority of the students who come into the program are coming in because they are already K-12 educators and would really like this experience to get them more confident, whatever the the content they happen to be delivering? I assume, you know, science for many of them, but not necessarily. I would also assume that folks find their way there that were not necessarily what we would we would assume. Or 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 the majority of the participants who are coming in like Carmen, they're research scientists of some description, field scientists, um, who are then looking to have have some type of role or impact in public outreach and engagement in K-12 education or beyond, or maybe a balance of the two. Maybe some mixture of the two, depending on the year and the makeup of the cohort, that ratio certainly shifts. But I'd say we have people who come to our program who have not done a lot of K-12 education and don't necessarily want to be K-12 educators after our program. And we are maybe counterintuitively still a good fit for those people because you have your skills, your science skills, and you work on them in this high communication setting. And if you can teach a sixth grader how, how photosynthesis works outdoors and get them to like feel invested and connected to this plant and then this community and feel like they need to take care of that into the future. Um, I feel like you can tell anyone anything, share any amount of science information. And so those skills are just transferable to uh, the broader public in the future. So we've certainly had grad students who take their intensive time with kiddos uh, for the year and transform that into adult education or community level education careers, not necessarily just teaching kiddos. And on the flip side, there's a good percentage of people who have been working with kids and know they want to um, continue and and hone in those skill sets and complement that with a strong natural resource systems understanding. Uh, 
um, to get kids invested in the natural world and caring for their place. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's a great fit for many folks. And, you know, I never um, ever say no to the opportunity to sort of hone those, those skills of transferring information, right? Because you're going to be able to utilize that um, very, very broadly. So I love that communication component, as I said earlier, of, of this program, because I do think it's critically important. We have an awful lot of teachers out there who aren't great teachers. We have a lot of great teachers out there who are fabulous teachers, right? And oftentimes the gap in between is just an opportunity to have an experience to learn how to deliver a little bit differently and how to engage. And then suddenly what you find is those those folks become some of the best teachers you've ever had. Uh, the, the flip side of that is, you know, we have an awful lot of folks out in the STEM disciplines broadly you know, I'm looking at Carmen and thinking about the fact that, you know, I have no doubt you're you're great with the public and an educator, but imagine you, you we all know um, in our own science fields, you know, our colleagues who amazing knowledge, really, really cool research, completely tangible and accessible and yet hampered because they can't communicate um, with the world broadly. So I'm curious, Carmen, you know, as you think back of your time in the Moss program, was there a moment that was profound for you as it relates to the way you think about your work right now? And I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, so I apologize for that. <laughs> but only a little bit because I really want to know. <laughs> I'm laughing because there is, there is, but it's not a moment in time. I would say it was a smattering of time, like a tidal wave that once I was washed within it, I realized what was happening. Our leadership professor, Gary Thompson, is the person who guides us through some of the big picture skills that we learn in group dynamics, how to manage scenarios, how to take in the big picture and take in the small picture. And one of the things that a famous question I always ask him is, Gary, can I break this question and ask a different one and then answer that one instead of what you just asked me? Um, so of course, looking at the education side of being a student, that was a good fit for me to have somebody who wouldn't oppose that. And one of the questions I asked him on repeated times, just because I think I was frustrated or confused, I said, Gary, I wrote this in my journals and I asked him in class and I put this in my homework assignment. And I said, <laughs> Gary, I've read this and I still don't know how do you become a leader amongst leaders? How do you lead in a room full of leaders? And I bugged him over and over again. And I was like, Gary, this reading assignment didn't help me figure out the answer. Or I would say, I climbed that rock and I sat on it and I thought about what you told me to think about. And I still don't know <laughs> the answer. And that was what I realized I was asking. Um, which I don't know if he realized what I was asking or if he was just really confused by the question <laughs> because the first answer he said, he was like, well, I just, I don't even know. He's like, you're going to have to figure that out. Um, what I was asking was how do you lead when everybody around you is so capable and has so many strong opinions and has their, has their own ideas of success. And what I realized I was asking about myself is to say, who wants to listen 
to the bird biologist who sits on a mountainside by the Pacific Ocean in Marin and suddenly wants to save her part of the world. <laughs> you know, yes, there is yeah. a niche group of people who would sign up just with that description alone. There's <laughs> arguably, arguably a bigger niche of the world that would um, run the other way as fast as possible. Um, so I realized that was the heart of my question was really mm. about self-discovery and what kind of a leader I was amongst just the world, the community here in our little cohort in this town, being in the town of McCall, knowing that I probably wanted to head back to the big city in California. I grew up in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really about finding my place. So my big realization was, I think I'm asking about who I am and where I am. And fittingly, we teach that to our mm -hmm. students through place-based education. Who am I in this ecosystem? Who am I in this landscape? And how am I so directly influenced by everything in the water and the air and the land that has been stewarded for so many generations before I even knew what it was called? Um, and I was asking that both on a cognitive level as well as a physical level. So my realization came about when I figured out what my question actually was. And when I identified that I came to Moss because I am an ecologist and mm -hmm. I was able to say that with confidence, I am an ecologist and being an ecologist to me means that I am somebody incredibly in tune with both the animals and plants and other living beings in this habitat that I see how they change and that I can bring that passion to the decisions that I make and the decisions that I influence. Really bubbling down to leadership is influence and asking mm -hmm. myself, what kind of an influence will I have on this field, on this world? And that whatever I call myself, I really define that title. So it's really hard every time somebody asks what are you as, as it was even for this interview? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think I'm a science educator and a wildlife conservationist, because if I just say I'm an ecologist, well, that's more confusing. So it's, it's about identity and, and self-discovery. And I don't think that's something that's possible in the typical master's program or from any of my, my colleagues who I've gone to undergraduate with or met along my career. Um, none of them have had that same type of self-discovery opportunity as we're able to have at Moss, you know, living on the edge of the wilderness gives you an opportunity to introspect and to concentrate um, at a level that I had never experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to tag on to that, just that I think one of the more powerful experiences for our K-12 students who get to come to our campus We've alluded to McCall being awesome. Our campus is located on the shores of an awesome deep glacial lake. Mm -hmm. And our, we're surrounded within a state park, Ponderosa State Park. And this park is our classroom. So we've got all kinds of wonderful little ecosystems to explore. And the K-12 students that come stay with us for about a week. And I think the powerful situation or learning opportunity that comes for them is just that they are capable of doing all kinds of things like they are capable of snowshoeing and being outside for six whole hours no matter what the <laughs> weather you know, no matter the temperature no matter you know whatever the 
mm-hmm. the situation it's raining or snowing um, they're able to hike all the way to a marsh and they're capable of capturing data that is meaningful and they're capable of like absorbing that and forming opinions and they're capable of communicating with their peers um, in a productive way and those are just like awesome experiences to watch these kids have is that they're able to be a community member do science and get connected to this place um, while they're at it yeah absolutely we see that with a variety of programs over the years that we've run run in past that you know, as soon as you believe that the kids, the minute they walk into your environment, whatever that happens to be, that every single one of them is capable. I often say capable of solving the world's greatest problems. The reality is they can. We just oftentimes don't give them the opportunity, the tools, the experience, the environment to immerse themselves in which they can explore the depth of their own possibility. And so there's something to be said about the power of that. So so thank you very much for that. You know, Leslie, one of the things I can imagine that uh, folks that are listening to this are thinking is, okay, this is amazing, but what happened to this program over the last year that we've all on, on, on the planet um, been struggling with? So how did the program adapt or not adapt as it related to continuing on within the midst of a global pandemic? We were deeply fortunate to be sort of set up to handle uh, a pandemic. So we've learned over the last year that some of the safer places you can be are outdoors. Mm -hmm. And we're thankful that so much of our education just occurs outdoors already. So we were able to have a cohort of graduate students come to us in person. They live residentially on our campus or in McCall mm-hmm. and taking classes in person. A lot of the classes we shifted to outdoors. We've done all of the recommended guidelines of distancing. We wear masks 100% of the time, um, even outdoors. And our staff have been, and faculty and grads have been able to get tested every other week um, throughout since we have been um, continuing to engage um, as people. And then our K-12 programs were unfortunately not as situated Mm -hmm. um, to continue with traveling buses, you know, overnight experiences in the tiny like bunk bed cabin summer camp like experience. Um, So we unfortunately had to take the year off of that and pause and let the schools kind of figure out what they needed to do uh, for themselves for the year. And so we found ourselves in a situation where we had all these teachers without, you know, kiddos to teach. And our local school district, the McCall Donnelly School District, um, decided to do a hybrid learning um, environment this year. So the kiddos were in school every other day, alternate Fridays. And so every other day, um, there's a bunch of kiddos with no teachers. So we were able to um, use some of our established connections and relationships and collaborate. And we formed a partnership where the kids could get on the school bus in the morning. And if they weren't going to school that day, they would just continue and ride it over to our campus and get dropped off and spend the day with our grad students as their field instructors. And so the kiddos have spent three sessions, a fall session, winter, and we're just starting spring after spring break. And we've had kindergartners through fifth graders here every other day. So there's been kids here every day uh, throughout the week. And they've been outdoors the whole time. They've been exploring and running and jumping and just doing all that fun kid stuff. 
um, and just getting that much needed social interaction during the pandemic. We really, really focused on social and emotional learning because we also didn't want to really do an awesome, amazing, stellar job at teaching too much curriculum um, and science content or other curriculum because this is not the full population of kids that are coming right. to mom right. that aren't in school. And we didn't want to give them sort of an unfair advantage for being part of our program. So we definitely focused on exploring and skill sets of working together and listening to each other. And they've been working through it. It's been, it's been pretty awesome um, to work with the same kids week after week after week, because usually you've got a snapshot in time of just mm-hmm. one week at a time with the group. And generally we never see them again. Right. Um, and so working with the same kids and watching them build some of those skills over time has been uh, really wonderful. Yeah, that's spectacular. And I would assume that they were components of this sort of pivot that you made. And, you know, amazing that you were able to do that and have so much ongoing time um, with students in the local community. It's just a boom. But there have to be components of that that I would assume that could be rolled into ongoing, you know. There's a lot of complaints, obviously, um, about the pandemic and what how that's impacted, you know, sort of the K-12 and, and post-secondary as well. But the reality is we've gotten a lot of things that we've learned. The learning curve was steep for us all, but there are, are there are positive components that have come out of this. And I would assume that's the case for both of you. And and and, and so I always want to, you know, end the program by thinking about what is that sort of big lob that you have for folks that are listening and thinking about how can I take, you know, some of what I heard Leslie and Carmen talking about today and incorporate it into my own journey. And so Carmen, I'm going to toss uh, to you first just to ask you that question. You know, if you were sitting down with a teacher or, or uh, uh, a research scientist, you know, contemplating how can I be better plugged in, if you will, in the outreach and engagement component of whatever it is that, that my work world has to offer, what would you suggest to somebody? I would suggest that folks look at what they're perceiving as limits around them. Sometimes we are in situations where there are unfair obstacles to being able to communicate what we want to communicate or learn what we want to do. And when I take a step back and I work with other scientists or even with other educators and try to sort out these problems, a lot of times we find that while some of those barriers are things we can't control and that are systemic problems that we'll work together to overcome, that other barriers may be perceptions. It may be because somebody told you, you have to teach this a certain way, or it may be because you won't be seen as a credible scientist if you reach out to kids before you reach out to adults Mm -hmm. or teachers. And I really encourage folks to look at those limits? Is it because somebody said this will make you less of, less of anything, less of a scientist, less of an educator, less of a professional, less efficient because efficiency is, is a big misperception and Mm -hmm. efficiency to me is inclusion. And sometimes that takes longer, Um, but efficiency is not about speed. So those are the main questions I ask. What are your perceptions of efficiency and What are your perceptions of the barriers that are holding you back from being the best educator and community member you can for the cause and the mission you're representing? That's awesome. Thank you for that. So Leslie, same question to you. Um, You know, one one piece of advice for folks thinking about these things. I think 
there's a phrase been tossed around Moss a lot recently, which is disturbance is potential. And growth <laughs> is happening when you're out of your comfort zone, not mm-hmm. when you're in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after being an established program for so many years, um, at least from my perspective, I felt pretty comfortable with the curriculum that we were, you know, covering and the methodology and like all of the things we were in a good, a good groove. And I think this opportunity of a pandemic came through to help us just re-examine um, basically just how we function and what we mm-hmm. do and what's important and how we uh, carry out those things. And I think uh, with the, the kiddo groups um, and so much learning comes from situations that are maybe not your first choice. Uh, we probably wouldn't have chosen to have groups, mixed age field groups of kindergartners through fifth graders together with one you know, instructor mm-hmm. trying to teach at all levels if we weren't trying to keep family pods together to limit you know, contact. Mm-hmm. And so that was a tricky scenario for us. And we learned so much mm-hmm. from that um, opportunity that we wouldn't have probably chosen for ourselves in any other situation. So always, you know, trying to be positive and look at the bright side and treat every situation as a learning opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank both of you ladies for taking time out of your day uh, to share with us about the Moss program and the impact that it's had both uh, on your uh, professional careers and on the community at large. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's great chatting with you today. I truly enjoy to revisit the Moss experience <laughs> anytime. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>